Welcome, everybody, to the ninth edition of our podcast entitled We Talk Photo, and I think we'll do some of that today. I'm joined here in person in my lovely hotel room in the Palouse at the Siesta Motel in Colfax. <laughs> For those of you coming through, this is the where it's happening. Great people, great rooms. Great prices. Becoming a to Palouse, check out the Siesta. They're uh, it's well worth your time. But anyhow, so I'm here with John Peterson. Hey everybody, how you doing? And uh, this is our first joint uh, podcast. It's not being done on Skype. We're doing it through a little microphone here, and it seems to be working okay. And um, we're going to talk today about a few things. We'll bring you up to date on some news. Maybe a couple little funny little things. Um, and then we'll get into our topic. And being as that we're in the Palouse, we'll talk about the Palouse. And we just finished a, a three-and-a-half-day workshop. It's Sunday morning. And we finished our morning uh, shoot that we do before we put a, put a nail in things for the, for the three-and-a-half days that we're here. And our people went home happy which is a good thing. And tired. And tired, which is a better thing. And it's uh, eight, a little before 8 in the morning, and we're sitting here talking to a microphone. It's a great thing. I'm looking at this bed thinking I should take a nap before I drive five hours to get home. But I'm told, John, that I have a nice, big, thick steak that I'm going to barbecue tonight. So I think I'm going to drive okay. your direction. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Anyhow. So let's jump into a few little tidbits of the yeah, news. Let's do that. Let's do that. Um, what do we have first? Oh, the elephant. Yeah. So. Once again. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you've been reading some of the uh, websites, you'll see that another photographer was disqualified from um, a, an award from African Geographic magazine, I guess it was called, um, quite a prestigious award um, for the photographer of the year because he took a shot of this elephant. Nice shot. Elephant's walking right toward him. Great clouds, great uh, background. We'll try to get a copy of this maybe and put it up on the notes but uh, so you can see it. But what he did is that he changed the ears, John. Yep. The ears are damaged. I guess some of these elephants they get damaged ears and fights and whatever that they go through in the in the uh, in the wild out there. And it turned out this elephant had ears that was damaged. Everybody knew this elephant was named Tim, in uh, in a park in Kenya, and it was shot by a gentleman named Bjorn Person P E R S S O N. Nice shot. It's a really great shot, but he changed the ears, John. And that's where, you know, one of those things, if, you know, we don't, I, I don't mind manipulating a photo, but just tell everybody what you did. Don't pass it off well, as something else. Well, don't change the ears. God. Well, especially on Tim. I'm I'm more fascinated by an elephant named Tim. You know, well, I think that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. But the judges disqualified him. And what was great, you got to hear this. I, I, I'll read this. After confronting person about the discrepancy the photographer explained that the manipulation occurred accidentally <laughs> <laughs> i accidentally swapped some ears out processing yeah you know i mean it's 
not he like moving had, a slider. He probably had a he probably had a a thumb drive of different elephant ears. Oh, Let's yeah. see how these look on Tim. You know, that was a great thing. Um, on a more serious note, uh, we have a new version of Nick software. For those of you who don't know about it. Um, uh, John, have you looked at that yet? Have I have not it? looked at it yet. I'm still using the well, old stuff. I downloaded so. it. Um, I, I really like Luminar. I really do. Um, it, Nick has one or two things in there that I, 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 I like too, but I'm spending more time with Luminar than I am on anything else yep. these days. And I am. Well, other than a little bit of Lightroom. But um, they have some new uh, presets in Nick that I haven't played with yet, but I'm told they're... They're a little interesting. Um, I don't think they've updated a whole lot other than that. Everything looks pretty much the same. Um, they did include a raw processor with the uh, with the free with the update. Um, you, you do have to pay for the update, and um, if you have a really old version, I'm not sure that they. I think they may even want you to buy it again. I'm not sure you have to go to the DXO site. They're owned by DXO now. I think you all know that. Um, and they have this new one uh, this that comes with the uh, with the uh, raw converter, which, by the way, for you Fuji folks, it does not work with a trans sensor. It only works with Bayer sensors. So, if you have a Fuji camera, you can't use the uh, raw processing program that DxO has. A Fuji X camera. Yeah. It won't uh, won't function. Yep. Um, you know, so uh, I would I would just be beware of that. But you know, a lot of folks like the Nick stuff, and they have updated it, which is a good thing. And uh, it's all good. It's all good. You betcha. So uh, a little bit of Sony news. Sony news. Jack, yeah. Here you go. For you Sony folks, you can now uh, think about. I don't know if you can order it yet, but. They're bringing in a 600-millimeter um, F4 lens, and it's a big lens because it's for full-frame cameras in an e-mount, and you can shell out $14,000 for that lens. It's a bargain. I don't know how to sleep at night. And, you know, they're supposedly bringing out a 2-6 to six as well for about two grand. But, um, I mean, this lens is huge. Um, and of course, Sony says, well, they compare it to the Nikon 600, which is like, uh, uh, like 10 grand or something like that. And, you know, they're saying this is, uh, you know, whatever. All I know is I love my 100 to 400 at uh, under $2,000 that Fuji makes that is a tack sharp lens that we used a lot extensively. Which, yep. Which we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah. You know? You know, and finally, um, John found this thing we have to tell you about. So, yeah, it was an article on F-Stopper, and it's a, it's a whole article Stop around... wasting your time and start using Lightroom rating systems. The whole rating system in Lightroom. Like, it's an entire article and accompanying video around using the rating oh. system in Lightroom. So the stars, the flags, the color oh. stuff. You know, I guess for some people... If they, you know, enjoy 
doing multiple different ratings and slices and dices. Uh, you know, an excerpt from this article, he tells you what to do with a two-star uh, image, a three-star image, a four-star image, and a five-star image. Amazing. You know, that's just... Two stars. Start to begin creating a baseline of usable images for your own collection. Three stars for the sections you'll be sent sending your client. Four stars. Images like to share and so oh, I see what they're talking about. Oh, on social media, and then five stars are the ones you want to put in your own portfolio. You yeah. So I you mean, know, I don't know. It just seems like a waste of time. It's one of my pet peeves when people. I'm doing an image review, and, and they, they have it selected as a three-star. Why would you keep a three-star image? I don't get that. Yeah, it's either a good image, yeah. and, and it should be used for most anything, whether it's client, social media. You know, there there are, I think for me in ratings, there are, you know, general images, keepers, but then there's always that just that cream of the crop that I think might go on my website. Um, but I don't get hung up in stars and colors and... I do use the flags in Lightroom, and the only thing I use the flags for is to let myself know which ones I've processed already. You know, it's just a visual identification that I don't, I don't, I shouldn't process this image again. Yeah. Yep. And then finally, I have to tell you, this has nothing <laughs> to do with photography, but there's a website, there's a website, I, I read uh, something called Flipboard which has a bunch of magazines on it. And one of them is called Flying Stories from 36,000 Feet. And uh, on uh, Pakistani Airlines, a passenger mistook the emergency door for the toilet. Can you imagine that? Were they in flight when that happened? Uh, yeah, it was an amazing thing. They were flying over. So it was They were going from, uh, I think, New Orleans, or, or I'm sorry, from Manchester, England to Islamabad, and it was uh, it was parked on a runway, ready to take off. She opened the door and armed the door, causing panic. And I guess they didn't get to Islamabad. So the moral of the story is never underestimate the stupidity of yeah, the human race. It costs six to thirty thousand dollars every time an emergency chute is deployed. Which they had to do, so you can wow. imagine that. Wow! Anyhow, that has nothing to do with the. <laughs> no. But next time you're on an airplane, just so don't, don't do that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Make sure it's the toilet. So let's talk about the Palouse since we're sitting out here. Bright sunny skies today, and the, you know the Palouse. For those of you who haven't been out here, is a pretty magical place. It's. Uh, it's, what, the number two producing wheat region in the world? In the world. Yep. Number one in the U.S. So it's endless miles and miles and miles of wheat fields. And dirt roads. And gravel and, roads. And gravel roads. They have paved roads. They have uh, seasonal roads. And then they have what they call primitive roads. And you don't want to be on a primitive road in the rain. No, so this this whole region used to be forested way way back when until they cut removed all the trees out of the landscape and started planting crops and it's just expanded and expanded and so the Palouse area for those of you who don't know just backing up just a little bit we're out in eastern central eastern Washington just about on the border with Idaho and they get a lot of sun during the summer and, and a lot of cold temperatures in the winter. 
So some good extremes out here, but it's prime wheat growing. So we well, besides wheat, we've seen garbanzos, a little bit of canola that's just uh, starting to come up. This is a strange year because there was snow on the ground here in mid-March, so a lot of everything didn't get planted till a little late, and there's a little more brown uh, in the fields that weren't planted than normal years, but there still was uh, some great, great uh, locations for us. Indeed. So we've been, you know, as you said, we did a three and a half day workshop. What's it? What's it like doing a workshop out here in the in the Palouse? What's well, in all the years I've been here, I've been here with five days of bald sky, and it looks like that's what they're going to get next week. Um, hot, hot, hot weather, nineties. Um, but we really, I mean, we really hit it right this year. Uh, we and we're going to talk about that. Uh, we we were very fortunate to have drama. Um, we had uh, some lightning, which uh, uh, unfortunately we didn't shoot, but um, because it was pouring rain. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was really great. People got great. Yeah, I mean it's it's really coming out here. It's long days, right? The mornings we've been up. Uh, well, sunrise we, is at four fifty-five, yeah. maybe. So the good light starts about four fifteen. Means that you have to be where you're going about four, and then that means it's a hotel departure about three thirty every morning. Which means it's a wake up call about three o'clock yep. to get ready to go. So it's been some early stuff, and then sunset happens around ten o'clock. Yeah, you know, anywhere starts about seven thirty yep. and ends about ten, and so they're long days. And uh, and kind of what we've done this week is gone out in the mornings, and typically go out in the mornings, and then come back and do some uh, do some work in the afternoons when the lights bad. We had one great day of great stuff. So we stayed out till two three in the afternoon. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And one thing we'll tell you, and I think it's important for those of you that come out here. Um, the, the Holy Grail for sunset here is up on a location called Steptoe Butte. It's about halfway up the mountain. It's actually a little volcano. And uh, if you go, it's a lot like Death Valley in a way that if you go by sunset time, you're going to miss really what you want to see. And what you want to see is the shadows uh, of the hills um, when the sun gets really low, uh, the shadows is the su- the, is really great for to enhance the subject. And if if you come up just for that last light, the shadows going to be over. The shadows happen about an hour before sunset. So if you're coming out here, make sure you get up there in plenty of time, and don't go by sunset time. Get there real early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, no, it was it was really good, and um, you know, uh, timing is everything. And I begin looking at the weather, uh, you know, a week or two before when it seems to be coming into play, and and we had uh, a really strong when I we got here on uh, Monday, it was probably eighty five degrees, and uh, this morning it was about. 40 degrees, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 41. So a really strong cold front came through, uh, dumped some rain, but we had amazing clouds. I think in all the years I've been here, they were uh, just... It's those large, puffy white clouds that you can imagine in your head against just a beautifully blue sky. 
yeah. over top of beautifully green wheat fields, barns, yeah. houses, that type of stuff. And it was just a, a, an amazing sky that we had. Yeah, we, we provide everybody with an itinerary. Uh, and in some years, we stick to that itinerary. This year, the itinerary literally got thrown in the trash the first night because the weather um, was so dramatic, and we needed to be in the right areas and the right locations when the weather was happening. And I have to tell you, uh, there are people other than us who run workshops out here, and um, they're good. There are also people who really don't live here that don't know the area like you need to know the area. I've been coming here many, many, many years, as as other people have as well. And th- you have to be able to, you know, change your plans on, on, on a very short notice to get to where the great light is and 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 uh, and stuff. So when the weather does come in, you really have to know what's going on. So those of you who are looking to take a workshop out here, make sure you have someone who knows the area has been here many times and can uh, and can guarantee that they can change uh, change itineraries quickly mm-hmm. yeah great point great yeah. point you know and there's a lot of uh, just really amazing variety out here it's it's a, in a way it's a little bit monochromatic in in that there's so much green just miles and miles of green fields but you know we have definable subjects like Really old barns, houses that were built in uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, square barns, round barns, um, falling all, down barns, falling down barns, lots of rusted metal and farm implements and wagon wheels, that type of stuff. But there's also a really amazing opportunity for some strong abstract imagery with yep. um, the wheat fields. So a lot of uh, if you can imagine, there's humps in the landscape, so it's a rolling landscape, and the, and the way you can line up these humps and create these layers of a landscape or an abstract with different gradations of green in it, you can go from just the the most out there abstract image to a very simple plain country image to a rustic image. There's a lot of variety out here to shoot, which is kind of cool. What is not here, though. There are no real iconic shots. Like yeah. you go to Yosemite, you've got Half Dome and all of that. You know, you've got to Death Valley, you've got uh, you know Bad Water and all those iconic areas. Any any of the national parks, they have a number of iconic shots. There really aren't here. Um, you know, and it's a lot like Death Valley in that you're looking at uh, texture and patterns, but instead of being the brown uh, tones. That you get in Death Valley here, it's shades of green, um, amazing, amazing stuff, and it's it's sub- stuff that you know you can just get on these roads and just explore, and uh, take a GPS with you, make sure you get back to your <laughs> yeah. hotel. But yeah. you can uh, just go exploring, and and there's a lot of photographs here. You have to be pretty selective. You do, but you know, and I think part of it is slowing down, though, and seeing a little bit differently because there's, 
in many cases not a not a definable subject. Um, you really have to kind of put a, a different vision or different lens on your mind as you're driving around looking for shapes, textures, patterns, colors, that type of stuff. It's it's a it's a challenging yet highly rewarding area to shoot in. I it think. is. Yeah, it is. So you know we were doing our rev- image reviews the last couple of days and. I don't know, it was yesterday afternoon or the afternoon before, um, we had some of our clients showing uh, landscape images that, you know, really use the sky to enhance the subject of what they were shooting, whether it was a barn or, you know, whatever it was. And I'm going to let John tell you what happened. It was really an interesting, interesting thing that I haven't seen happen before, and but it was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, what was... We just got done telling you how great the sky was and how we don't... We'll post some of those. Yeah, I mean, we don't often see these great skies up here in the Palouse. And and because of that, we all wanted to include the sky in our images because it was sort of a rarity. And, And as we started looking at these images in the image review... What uh, this realization kind of dawned on us that because the sky was so dramatic above the subject, it detracted from the subject. It was the it was really kind of a big aha moment for us in a way that that uh, you know you're shooting an old house and you've got these white puffy clouds against a dark blue sky. More often than not, you were not looking at the house. You were just staring at the sky and the clouds. And that wasn't the subject of the photograph. No, but it it became the subject. (laughs) It did. And so it was kind of an interesting lesson at times. You know, we we often preach to, to when the sky is bland and doesn't add anything to the image, take it out of there. But this is the polar opposite where the sky added so much to the image we started critiquing that maybe the sky shouldn't have been in the image and it should have just been about or the less subject of it. or less of it. Yeah, exactly. So it was really kind of a funny aha moment for everybody in the room, which, uh, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, we, you know, there's a lot of other little tidbits and gems that we found this week. Um, in two different locations, we found uh, great horned owls in barns. There's one barn we rolled up the first day, and there were two owls living in it. And so we got to go inside. We were inside the barn, and um, we're able to shoot an owl in its natural well, habitat. Pho- photograph an owl. Yes, we didn't shoot it. No, I'm from Oregon. We don't shoot spotted these owls. These days, we have to be very yes. succinct to what we're talking yes. about. Yes. Don't we want don't, to offend anybody. Yes. No, that's very true. And then yeah. uh, yesterday, we were out photographing a different barn, and there was an owl uh, through one of the... I don't know what it is, a couple on top yep. that was looking out. Yeah, he was just checking us out. Yep, just sat there for as long as we Great wanted to Great horned owls with yeah. the yellow eyes. It was really cool. And then this morning, which was awesome, there was a yellow biplane crop duster flying around below in the over the fields below Steptoe. And we were able to photograph the airplane as it's laying down, whatever it is, it's laying down on the field. Stuff you don't want to get near. Yes, exactly. And then, and then it would, it would, it would fly a pass over the field, and then it would do a bank, banked turn. And we were positioned well enough that it was doing a banked turn right over one of the grain silos out there in the distance. So we got 
some great photographs of the biplane, the grain silos, and the wheat fields in front of it. So really contextual, really wonderful, kind of a little gem that was given to us this morning. So you never know what you're going to see out here. And we shot that. I shot that. I haven't looked at the stuff yet. I, I think I got maybe one or two decent photographs, but I used the 100 to 400 um, with a 2x converter, which gave me a lot of a lot of uh, reach, and uh, and and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, great way to spend some time. You know, so for those of you folks who come to the Northwest, uh, the coast is great and Olympics great. But this time of year, uh, in early June, it is the time for the Palouse. Um, we were also told that perhaps in July it might be canola time because canola is that yellow flower that you see the vast fields of. Uh, it's not out now because of the cold temperatures that were here a month ago. They didn't get it in the ground. But July might be great for canola and then typically the harvest is in august and you can come out here in august and shoot the harvest as the weed is harvest and the dust is flying through the air at sunset and great light and sunset mm-hmm. and it's all good but you know june june is the best and we may come out here in july and we're thinking we might even run a couple day workshop out here if we can get some interest with talk about that tomorrow yeah could be good yeah you know one other one other point i wanted to touch on coming out here is uh you know as you're driving along these roads you see all these cool barns and and cool old houses that you want to shoot but these are all on people's property people own all the land out here and being respectful of other people's property is of a utmost importance when you come out here i mean this place gets flooded with photographers and a lot of them well no that's not true a lot of them some of them are not very respectful and the property owners are getting really angry at some of the photographers and have closed some of the ability to get on the property to photographers and frankly i probably have done the same thing yeah I mean, there was uh, we were we were talking to uh, some folks yesterday who we were photographing one of the old uh, houses that was built around the turn of the century, and they came out to say hi. And what they do every year uh, is they troll the internet looking for Palouse workshop shops to try to understand how many people are coming out into this area to, to try to get an idea of what kind of traffic control and how much they're going to have to run people off um, and, and police folks off of their property. And so they had, they had seen Jack's name, and they knew we were coming out. They were wonderful folks. They looked on the Internet, you know? Yeah. And the guy says, I saw your name. You, 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 were, you, were, running, you were running a workshop out here, and kind of like we knew we'd run into you with your group, and, and we did. But it was a good guy. It's not very nice. Yeah, guy. nice. I think they said they, they got roughly 2,000 people coming by their house last year and this is out in the middle of nowhere and to have 2,000 folks stop by to photograph this and you can imagine I mean they're trying to run a business they're growing wheat and plus the liability concerns of folks getting into these old buildings or getting around these old buildings um, yeah just without you know beating a dead horse here just if you do come out here you know stay on the road and if you don't want to do anything else ring the doorbell uh, ask the folks if they mind if you walk up to their barn or whatever. And nine times out of ten, they're going to be really nice and let you do it. They're yep, pretty good people here. 
Yeah. So. Well, anyhow, yeah. so that's, I don't know if it's Charlie, you, no, you got I, any more to, you want to talk about? I think here? we're I think good. I think we're, we're as tired as the uh, attendees were today. Yeah, it is. So. Well, we just wanted to tell you about the Palouse and and uh, and and the last couple of days, and it was all good. And and again, if you're coming to Colfax, Siesta Motel <laughs> is the way to go. And, and then there's also the best ham- one of the best hamburgers. You bet. Cheeseburgers in the country is at the top notch here in town. And you walk in and tell Pete that you heard heard this podcast, and I'm sure he'll he'll give you a little uh, grin. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, good folks. But you know, again, this is a rural farming area. There's no electronic stores. There's just the bare basic amenities so come prepared if you come out this direction well pullman um, you, you could drive to pullman that's which uh, is about 40 minutes away to, to, if you need to get anything and it's a that, which means it's 80 minutes round trip yeah 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 it's a beautiful country um come on out and see it for yourself sometime yep fly into spokane it's about an hour hour south yeah you betcha so if you guys have uh any comments you want to send us uh we talk photo at gmail.com yeah we have some good stuff planned for you uh we'll probably run another one just maybe early next week and uh thank you all i'm gonna head in my uh, vehicle here and head west And go home and uh, eat good tonight. Yep, sounds good. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. See you later. Bye.